Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, we love you. God, in this whole gathering, it is for you, God, for your glory. God, we desire that you would be exalted in this place. God, exalted right now, exalted in the preaching of your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, God, that you would help us in this time. We need, we need help from you right now, God. We need your Holy Spirit to come and help us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that for us, for your glory. God, thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so, uh, I'll just start out. If you don't have a handout, maybe we can uh, pass some of those around. If you don't have one, uh, that can be, it can be helpful to have one to help follow along. And so, maybe we can get CXers, pass those around to the back. Um, as I was introduced earlier, uh, my name is Ty Brogdon. I am one of the members here. And so, uh, if you are a first-time guest or just a guest in general, we are, we are thankful that you are here. And we want to tell you that you are welcome back here every Sunday. We hope that you will come back and worship with us. And so, as I was uh, beginning to prepare uh, this sermon, I, I had several... Uh, several different people in this congregation uh, who asked me, was I, was I nervous? And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that question. I, I know what they mean by that question, you know, and there, there is a general sense in which uh, it is a serious thing. We're about to open God's Word, and I'm about to say, this is what God has for you. And so there is certainly a seriousness uh, that comes along with that. Uh, and yet, at the same time, in the sense that I think they're talking about a nervousness, you know, as I thought about that question, I became more nervous. No, I, I didn't, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> but as I thought about that question, I know that uh, I get to stand before my brothers and sisters, and my brothers and sisters whom, whom I love and whom I care for, and, and I know that... Uh, that it's, it's not just a love that I have for you all. It's a love that very much so has been uh, reciprocated for Lauren and myself. Uh, and we have felt so loved by this church uh, over the last year that we've been here in my time even before that when I was in college. We have been so thankful to be a part of this body, to be a part of a body that loves Christ and loves His Word and, and desires to grow and be mature and particularly, uh, we, we felt very loved over the last couple weeks when we've been out of town, uh, kind of doing our last visits with our families and things like that, uh, and the church voted to support us in a, in a financial means, and, and we, we feel really loved by that. We, we're very thankful uh, for that, and so uh, if, I, if I don't get to tell you all individually, uh, I just want to publicly thank everyone. We are so thankful uh, for this church. And so, uh, as I actually began preparing, uh, I was kind of given the option of a couple different texts uh, that I could teach from. And I kept coming back to this text in, in 1 Thessalonians 4. And so, if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we, will, we will read it. 
1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And and so this is our text for today. And one of the reasons that I was so excited about this text is because I could honestly, sincerely say this towards Grace Community Church. This is how I feel towards this church, that we have been uh, taught by God, that, that there is love for the brothers And so the push today comes on, uh, what does that look like, and more and more. And so before we jump directly into this text, uh, we we can talk about and give a little bit of background on, uh, okay, how did we get to this place? How how did we get to 1 Thessalonians 4? What what is the buildup to this process, uh, to this church that's here? Uh, And so we, we see a few different things. We see in Acts 16... Uh, we see Paul and Silas, they're in Philippi, and they get beaten for their faith. They get imprisoned for their faith, specifically for being faithful gospel ministers. They're getting persecuted for preaching the gospel. And so what, what would your reaction be to that? that? That's a hard thing. Think about that. They're facing real persecution, real suffering, actually being beaten with rods. This is a serious thing. And then we go into Acts 17, that uh, they're just a little bit later, and a couple towns over, and what do they start doing again? And they go to this town of Thessalonica, and they start preaching the gospel again. Paul, Paul even uses the language, they're preaching boldly. And so I just have to ask, is, is, would that be your reaction Preaching boldly in the midst of being persecuted, in the, in the midst of being beaten. And yet that is, that is the response of Paul, this faithful laborer, this faithful man. And so we get to this place, so that they're, we get to Acts 17, and they start preaching the gospel. And, and as what was Paul's habit, he goes into the synagogues. Uh, and for three Sabbaths, he's reasoning with the Jews. He's preaching the gospel. He's speaking of Christ. And it talks about what happens from that is that people start getting converted. There, there are Jews that get converted there. There are Greeks that get converted. There are leading women in the city who get converted. Uh, in First Thessalonians 1... It even says that there are those who turn from idols to serve the living and true God. And so we see all these different groups of people, all these different classes of people who are coming to faith. And the response of that uh, in the city of Thessalonica is the ungodly people, they hate it. And so what then follows, and it's more persecution, uh, and they're actually, Paul and Silas are actually driven out of the city. And so uh, they're, they're in Thessalonica Three weeks, six weeks, it, it's certainly a short time. Even Paul himself uh, gives reference that they're here for a short time. And so in this letter, uh, 
they, they helped him for a short time and they had to leave. And you can imagine what Paul's thinking. He's wondering, okay, so what has happened to this congregation, to, to this body of believers? And he has genuine concern for what's going on with them. And you can see that in his writing in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. You, you see this concern that's there. Uh, but you also see the response to the concern is comfort because he actually sends Timothy to them to help them, to build them up in the faith. And he gets reports back from Timothy, and things are actually going really well. There's a lot of faithful members here. There's a lot of faithful Christians who are, who are loving one another, who are serving one another, who are growing in this. Uh, but, but it's not perfect, right? There's still some problems going on. There's still some some doctrinal errors that they have fallen into, one of which being, and, and kind of the primary one, is what has happened in First Thessalonians is some of their members uh, in the midst of persecution, some of them have died, some of them have been killed for their faith. We see this persecution, and they're concerned, okay, well, will Jesus actually, he hasn't returned yet. And so even though he, he rose from the dead on the third day, they're anticipating the fact that Jesus is going to return for them, and he hasn't come, and these people have died. And so, so what's happening with these people? And so there's this concern there. And so Paul, that, that's one of the things that he's addressing throughout this letter. And so we get into, uh, he, he's addressing this all throughout, and it's rooted that the turning point in this letter comes in chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. So we'll look at that, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 through 13. And this is, this is kind of the transition point in this letter. And he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so we see this transition, and he starts talking about uh, love for one another, and he starts talking about holiness. And then we jump into chapter 4, and we see uh, verses, verses 1 to 8, we see this holiness explained. We see this sanctification explained. Uh, one of the things that's rooted in there, he talks about sexual purity and how that is directly connected with holiness. It's directly connected with sanctification of being pure. And then he transitions on to our verses in 9 and 10. And so what I would say before we jump back into 9 and 10 uh, and, and we dive in there, I would just say, so how is this holiness and love, how are these things connected? How are they connected? And what I would say is that, uh, that they're connected in every way. And, and one of the ways that I would just speak about passively how they're connected, how is love connected with holiness? And here's what I'll say. There's, there's a way, I'll, I'll give this example. There's a way that you don't steal from your brother, but does that mean that you love your brother? The answer is not necessarily. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but just because you didn't do something to him doesn't mean that you actually love your brother. However, on the flip side, if we look at 
if you love your brother, are you going to steal from him? And the answer is, of course not. Not if you love your brother. You won't do that. And so we see that love for the brother and holiness and this passive love are connected. And yet, our text isn't, isn't specifically talking about a passive love. He, he transitions into an active love. And so here, here's what I would say. As we, as we look at love, and we look at love for our brothers, uh, there are some misconceptions that can be had about this. Uh, and, and one of the main misconceptions is that this is just an emotionally charged love. Just this, you know, the way our culture defines it, just this uncontrollable feeling, just this uncontrollable emotion that drives me. And that's not what this is talking about. Uh, and, and so are there, are there emotions related to it? Are there affections related to it? Yeah, sure, maybe. You, you should actually feel something towards your brother in love. And yet, that's, that's not what he's talking about. He, he's talking about an act of love. And so we see uh, that that's kind of the cultural way of thinking about it is entirely wrong. Uh, but, but then there's also a way to think about it. You know, even in conversations with, with brothers this last week, there's a way that we can grow really numb to this. That there, there's a way that we, we talk about this all the time. We talk about love for God all the time. We talk about love for our neighbor all the time. Love for our brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. And there's a way that we can hear that so much and, and grow numb to it or dull to it or, or not feel it with the sharp edge that it, should, that it should hit us with. And so I would just say, guard against that this morning. As we look at this text, guard against just a, an apathy towards loving your brothers, loving your sisters. And so we start out in verse 9, and he says, Now concerning brotherly love... You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So if you look at your handout, it it says, taught by God. And then he talks about some some, some of the implications for being taught by God. And here's what I would say. Is Paul, is he saying that he didn't teach them? Is he saying that he had no part in this? And certainly, that's, that's not what he's saying. He has taught them. He has instructed with them. He has labored with them uh, day and night, it says. And so, certainly we know Paul has actually taught them things uh, that they're supposed to know and hold to. And so, Paul, he has taught them. And yet, ultimately, he's saying, you've, you've been taught by God. And that's what we need. That, that's what we need this morning. Like, th- there's a way that I can stand here and I can teach things but if you are not taught by God, this teaching is not going to do you any good. And in the same way here, yes, they're taught by Paul, and yet ultimately taught by God. And so God, he's a God of means. And so he teaches us by, uh, specifically by our teacher, by Christ, by his word. He teaches us by his word. He teaches us through others. He teaches us by the Holy Spirit. He uses all of these different means, but ultimately God needs to be our teacher. And what this means is that 
who gets all of the glory? Do I get the glory for standing here and speaking to you? Well, not according to this, not if this is true, not if God is your teacher. And do you get the glory if you have brotherly love? If, if you know these things, do you get to glory in your own knowledge, in your own self? And the answer is, certainly not. Not according to this text. This, this text says, taught by God. And so, He is our teacher we need Him to teach us. We need help from Him. Do you, do you see how this puts us in a state of dependency on God? And that's a, that's a good place to be. That's where we want to be, dependent on God. And so we're, we're dependent on Him. We need Him uh, to teach us, to help us, to be our teacher that is even one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And so we transition. It goes into verse 10. You've been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And so that, that's the, uh, the next transition for us. That indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And so, uh, they are actually doing something, right? That's what it says in this text. They're, they're doing something. And so, that's where the whole mindset of this is just an uncontrollable emotion of something that you feel. Well, not according to this text. Brotherly love is connected to doing in this text. It's actually an active thing. Uh, and, and that makes sense in light of... In light of Paul's writing, we know this to be true, that, that uh, you know, he describes his love as a labor of love. Do you think about love that way? Do you think about love as a labor, a labor of love? You know, he also describes it, uh, and so that, that was chapter 1, verse 3, this labor of love. Uh, in chapter 2, he, he says, we were desirous to share not only the gospel, but also our own selves. And it talks about, and then he says, they, that we labor day and night for you. And so do you see this connection? There is a labor here. There is a giving of yourself to another, a laboring for another, a, a disregard of your own desires, your own, your own wants, and a labor for your brothers. This is even compared, look, look at this in chapter 2, uh, verse 7, and verse 11. It says, But, but we were gentle among you, like a, a nursing mother taking care of her children. Verse 11, For you know how like a father with his children. And so this is the language that Paul is using to describe uh, himself, he, he and Silas, uh, and how they treated and thought towards this church. And I don't know if any of you have ever been around a nursing mother. My, my wife is a nursing mother, and the love that she has for our daughter is incredible. It, it is a supernatural love. It, it is a love that cares for that little girl's needs, that cares when, if she's fed, 
if she's changed, there, there's an activeness in that love. I mean, honestly, our daughter was up all night last night. I'm serious. She was up all night crying. And there was an activeness in my wife and, and taking care of our daughter. And, and she actually had to, uh, she didn't get as much sleep because she's, she's taking care of her. There, there's a sacrifice that was there. Or in the same way for fathers, it says, like a father with his children. And so what father in here that's, that's a good father that saw his child being abused or being hurt wouldn't actively go and do something, wouldn't protect your child, wouldn't defend your child, every single father in here would do that. And that's one of the ways that, that this love is described. That this love that we have for our children is the love that, that... There's something in that that's supposed to translate. You're supposed to love your brothers. You're supposed to love your sisters. This is a call to a deeper love, a more meaningful love, an active love. And so we see that... This church, they've been taught by God, for that is indeed what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, so they've been taught by God. So, so what is one of the marks of being taught by God? And I would say, active obedience, right? You're, you're actually doing something. God has actually worked in your heart uh, to love and, and do these things, and so it's actually the mark of a Christian, it's the mark of sanctification that God has so worked in your heart that you're actually laboring in love. And so is this, is this for, for the individual, each individual made up in here, is this a reality in your life? Do you, do you actually have love for the people in here, for the members of Grace Community Church? And I would say certainly, uh, I, I would commend you that certainly Lauren and I have felt very loved. Uh, and, and it hasn't just been uh, two weeks ago when you voted for us. It, it has been constantly, weekly, people pouring into our lives, investing in us, uh, asking us these things. And so I would say, uh, is this a reality individually for you? And, and, I, and I think that that's a question to be asked. But I would say certainly, I, I think that for many, hopefully for all, that this has been a reality in your life, that you've been taught by God, and that He has worked this in you, and that there is a labor of love. And so how, how, how does this actually look practically? How do we actually love one another you know, it's, re- it's really nice to just stand up here and say, love better, love more. Uh, but I want to talk about how do we actually do that. And, and I'll say from, uh, you know, from the forefront, there's a lot of ways to do this. You know, if you just look at all of the one another commands in Scripture, there's a lot of them. And so... There are, I mean, there are so hundreds and hundreds of verses uh, that we could look at this morning. 
Truly, there, there are hundreds. There are so many verses. And yet, I want to narrow the focus a little bit into our context. And I specifically, I want to pull uh, from 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. I want to specifically pull from, okay, how, how are we going to love one another? And we, and we see two different things, really. We see an implicit love that Paul talks about in his writing of, this is what I'm doing for you, this is how I've labored for you, this is how I've prayed for you. All of these implicit things that Paul is talking about, um, this is what I've done, this is what has, has happened, this is what you have done, all of these different things. And then we see a more explicit, uh, prescriptive, okay, this is what you need to do. And so we're going we're gonna to pull from both of those. Uh, we're going to look into, into both of those. And I kind of broke it down. There, there are a little bit more than this just in these, uh, in these books, and yet I narrowed it down to three different categories uh, of repeated themes that we're seeing in First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, and, and remember, this is connected, how do we love one another? So if you're thinking, okay, how do we do this? I, I'm on board. I, I want to love my brother. I want to love my sister. I, I want this more and more. How do I do it? Okay. That's what we're about to talk about. And so the very first point, strive for unity. Strive for unity. And I intentionally use that word, to strive, because it is a, a labor. It is a work. It is, it is an active thing, a striving for unity. And we see four different areas uh, that this church is striving for unity. Four, four different uh, specific areas that we see them doing this. And one of them, we see it in chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to be uh, moving back and forth in, in First and Second Thessalonians, so be ready. Maybe we won't turn to all of them. I haven't decided, but... <laughs> First uh, Thessalonians 2.14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And so there's a unity in the midst of persecution. They're, they're imitators. They're suffering together as a body of believers, and they have unity. They have unity in the midst of persecution. They are imitators of the other churches, of, of healthy churches. This is a, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? That, that's what Paul says, and this is what this church is doing. This is what they're living out. You know, and I, I couldn't help but think, in the midst of imitating mature believers, uh, I was thinking about this personally, and I, I would ask all of you to, to think about this as well. If every single person in this church were to imitate your life, for the next year, what would this church look like? Would, would this church look like a church uh, that loves and honors Christ? Or would it look wicked, sinful, foolish? You know, what if, what if your children were to imitate your life? Would they look like Christ? And so, certainly we want to strive for this. And, and for this church, uh, they're they're facing real persecution. Persecution that a lot of us are really unfamiliar with. And they have unity one with another. The next one, the next point in unity, is unity in work 
and labor. Unity in work and labor. And so when you look at chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it's coming right off the back of our, our verses this morning. And he says, And aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And so, and, and there's other texts that talk about this unity and work and labor. We see it in chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, we see it in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. We see this, uh, there's unity and working and laboring together. And, and essentially, one of the things that's going on here, just to speak really quickly to it, one of the things that's going on is this church, they are anticipating that Jesus is coming back at any moment. And so one of the things that it's caused them to do is quit their jobs. Essentially, stop working. They're, they're being a burden on other people in the church. And he's saying, don't do that. And so not only does this apply on an individual level, level of uh, mind, working hard, working with your hands, mind your own affairs, uh, I would also say that this applies, this specific text, verse 11 and 12 of chapter 4, it applies on a corporate basis for the church, right? Because we actually see this transition between you and the outsiders. And so you could be referring to, and I think it is referring uh, partly to the church. And so the church needs to mind your own affairs, work with your hands, um, do these things. And so we see not only do they have unity in the midst of persecution, they have unity in their work and labor. The next one we see comes in chapter 5, verse 15. To see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And I think this points to we need to strive for unity and forgiving and forbearing with one another. We need to strive for unity and forgiving and forbearing one another. And so, I hope that everybody realizes at this point and understands that uh, we, we are a collective group of sinners, and certainly we have been cleansed by Christ. If you are in Christ, he, he has cleansed you and forgiven you, and yet we are still in the flesh. And that there's almost a, an assumption that you are going to be wronged by somebody in the church, by one another. And we need to be a people who, who really do. We strive for unity to forgive our brothers when they wrong us, to, to forbear with our weaker brothers and sisters, to help them, to help the idol. So we strive for unity and forgiving and forbearing. The last area that we strive for unity is in church order. We strive for unity in church order. And we see this again, we're in chapter 5. We see it in 12 and 13. We th see it in uh, verses 16 to 22 of chapter 5. 
says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then it says, Be at peace among yourselves. And so there's this unity uh, in church order. And specifically, this talks about there needs to be unity in love for our leaders, love for our elders, those who labor over our souls. Uh, for, for every single member in here, you, you know, I can't stress this enough, you need to love our leaders. They are keeping watch over our souls. Do, do you realize how serious that is? And, and we don't want that to be a burden to them. We want it to be a joy to them that they can watch over our souls in joy. And so there's a unity and a love for our elders, peace with one another. Verses 16 through 22 goes on to talk about uh, there's a unity in our worship and there's a unity in our doctrine. There's a unity in our worship, rejoicing always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. But there's also unity in test everything, holding fast to what is good. And so there needs to be a, a unity uh, both, both in our worship and in our doctrine. And we need to strive for this. That, that means that there's a responsibility for every single person to be a theologian. You know, one of, one of the greatest things that you can give yourself to every day is the Word of God. And so there should be a unity in these different areas. Unity in the midst of persecution. They're actually suffering and they're coming together and they're helping one another and they're loving one another. There's also this unity in their work and labor. They're they're known. uh, We want to be known as as hard workers. We don't want to be known as lazy Christians. There's a unity in Forgiving and forbearing. The reality is, either either you will sin against somebody in this church, or somebody will sin against you. And we need to learn to forgive and forbear. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and there needs to be unity in church order. And so the the next point, he we transition. So we want to strive for unity. That's one of the ways that this can practically look. And a second way that it can look, and it needs to look, is to pray for one another. Pray for one another. And so we're going to look at, okay, so what are some specific ways that we can be praying for one another? What are some specific ways? And one of them that, uh, you know, when you think about this, before reading this text, you think about, okay, what are some different ways that I can pray for my brothers and sisters? Uh, and there were several different things that came to mind. Uh, and the, honestly, the first one is one that I don't do enough of, one that I was reminded of, even in studying this text, that, uh, that I need to be more aware of, and maybe you need to be more aware of. And so uh, the first one... You should pray 
just in thanking God for your brothers and sisters, how, how often do you actually pray and you say, thank you, God, for these, for these brothers that you have given me, for these sisters that you have given me that, that genuinely care for my soul, that look after my soul, that, that actually care for me? How much do you just thank God for that? You know, in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And so we want to we have an atmosphere of, we, we want to cultivate this uh, pr- thanking God for one another. So that's one way that we can pray for one another is actually thank God that he has given us other believers to be around. You know, there, there are uh, many countries that having uh, a faithful church with people that love Christ is uh, just not a reality for many of our brothers and sisters across the world. That's just not a reality. And so all the more, we should be thankful for what God has done for us in this context. The second way that we can pray for our brothers and sisters, specifically, pray for their sanctification. Pray for their sanctification, for their holiness, for their being conformed into the image of Jesus. Pray that God would establish your brothers and sisters, that he would grow them, help them. How often do we actually pray that for our brothers and sisters? You know, there's probably a tendency, and I think it's good, we need to pray for ourselves in this way. We need to pray for holiness that God would make us a holy people. How much are you doing that? Praying for your brother. Praying for your sister. God, make them holy. Make them look like you. And, and this is a labor. This actually takes work. You actually have to do something. You, you go before the throne of God that you have access to in Christ and you labor in prayer for your brothers and sisters that they would look like Jesus. And this is a loving thing. This is how you actually love your brother, love your sister. Pray for their sanctification. We even see some specifics of what this could look like in chapter 4, this this big section on personal holiness. The next way that we can pray for one another, we see it in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. I love this one. I hope that all of you will, will pray this for us, for Lauren and I. We'll pray this for the missionaries. We'll pray it for each other. It says, pray, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And so how often are you praying for the word to go forth from your brother? Right? Do you, uh, you know, I had to ask myself, uh, week in and week out, how much are you praying for the people that stand up here and preach the, the Bible? How much do you actually pray for them in their preparation? And I was just reminded that uh, when I'm planning to do it, I pray a whole lot for it. 
prep a whole lot for it. How much are we doing that when, when Ryan's teaching us, when Dustin's teaching us, when Greg's teaching us, when, when one of the other brothers is teaching us? How much are we actually praying that the, the word would go forth from, from their ministries? How much are we praying this for each other, not just our leaders, but for each other in our daily lives? God, use, use my brother to preach your gospel and make disciples. We should pray that for one another. We, we should pray that God would use our brothers and sisters, that he would grow us, that he would use us, and that, that his word would go forth from our mouths. And so we can, we can pray for one another by, by just thanking God that we, that we have each other. We can pray for, for personal holiness, for sanctification, that they would look like Christ. We can pray that God would, would use them mightily for His Word to go forth. The last way that we can pray, 1 Thessalonians 5.25 He just says, brothers, pray for us. And so, uh, if those ways were not enough, everything else goes into that category. Everything that you can imagine that you can pray for your brother to help them, to strengthen them, for them to look like Christ, for them to love Christ more, for, for love to abound in their heart more and more, pray it for them. Anything else that you can think of, any specific needs, general needs, just just pray for them. You know, you, how, how much do you take that membership list and pray through it for all of the members of this church? Can you imagine uh, what it would be like, how much more you would actually care for your brothers if every single person in here, every single member in here was actually taking their membership li list and praying through it regularly for every other member? Can you imagine the type of love that gets cultivated from doing that? That, that you actually care for people? You actually you want to know what's going on in their life? Because you, you've prayed for them. You, you care for them. You've, you've taken the time to actually do that. And so I would put forth, we should do that for every single member in here. So I realize that we can't pray for everybody every single day, and yet I do think it's a good idea to have some sort of routine in working through that membership list and praying, praying these things for each other. That is, a, that is a loving thing. The third point, so not only do we want to strive for unity, not only do we want to pray for one another, but thirdly, we want to encourage one another. We want to encourage one another. And this one, honestly, all of these different ones, the, the unity, the praying, they all get brought up a lot, as does the encouraging. He mentions this a lot in, in these two books. We see it one of the places in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he says, We exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
And so encourage one another to walk in a manner worthy of God. Encourage one another to sanctification. You see the connection between these things? We're striving for unity. We're striving for maturity. We're praying for one another's sanctification. One of the things that's flowing out of, of, of you praying to God, God, help my brother. God, conform my brother to the image of Jesus. One of the things that's naturally going to flow out of that is you go to that brother and you encourage him and you point him to Christ and you, you build him up. That is naturally going to flow out of a heart that, that prays for them because you care for them, you love them, and then you go to them and you point them to the Scriptures. You, you have conversations that point to Christ. You know, that's one of the benefits of us being able to come together and meet together uh, week in and week out, have this regular meeting, is we get to actually see each other face to face. And we get to encourage one another. And so I would encourage you that, uh, is it okay to talk about, you know, the Braves losing last night? Sure, it's okay. And yet, if that's all your conversation ever is in here, don't, don't let that be the case, right? Point each other to Christ. Our conversation should be filled with Christ. So the second way, we, we encourage one another to walk in a manner worthy of God. Another way that we encourage one another, we see in chapter 3, we encourage and exhort one another in the midst of suffering. And so there's a reality, especially for this church, that, that everything isn't always hunky-dory. You, you know, so I, I think that there's sometimes a temptation uh, to act like Christianity is just always a six flags over Jesus, and everything's going well. You know, how you doing? Doing good, brother. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're suffering. And that's where we can, we can be honest with one another. We, we can confess that. We can talk about that. And this text tells us that we need to encourage one another in the midst of suffering. And I think even this suffering, uh, this can look like uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. That's one of the ways it's playing out here. Uh, they're actually physically suffering. Like people hate them and want to kill them. And so there needs to be an encouragement in the midst of these afflictions that they're facing, in the midst of uh, the suffering that they're facing. Even in the midst of, you know, he talks about Paul, it says he was scared that the tempter had tempted them. And so even that, the tempting of Satan or the tempting of the flesh can be connected to a form of suffering. And so we need to encourage one another in the midst of suffering. Thirdly, we see this, uh, we see this one all over the Bible. We see it in chapter 4, verse 18. We see it in chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. And we need to encourage one another in the death of burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that He is coming back for us. 
This is, this is the pinnacle to what we're talking about. This is what everything hangs from and is connected to this. It is connected to Christ. And so in these circles where we're at, in this church, the gospel is preached all the time. And again, I gave the warning at the beginning that there's a, there's a temptation in which you can, you can feel cold towards it. it may, maybe the gospel doesn't excite your heart as much as it did when you first became a Christian. And I would just remind every single person who is in Christ what He has done for you. Remember what He has done for you. When, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when you were weak and feeble, hating God, hating one another, when you were an enemy of God, rebellious to God, truly sinful, totally depraved, and you had no hope, what, what would all of you do? What, what would you do if Christ never came? Can you imagine how hopeless your life would be? How miserable your life would be realizing that you're a sinner before a holy God, that you have transgressed His law, that you've actually rebelled against Him, and there is no hope for you. There is nothing that you could do You, can, can you imagine? Your whole life would be in misery and hopeless, and you would be so scared of death. And, and that's what it would be like if Christ did not come. And yet I would say, Christ has come. And where you have sinned against the Holy God, where you have sinned against your brother, Christ lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. He, he never sinned. He, he never stole from his brother. He never sinned before a holy God. He lived a perfect life. And he, he died on the cross. Because God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you feel that this morning? That Christ has actually taken your sin on Himself? That, that He bore that sin in His own body? And He died for you. And He was buried. And He rose on the third day. Truly, He is the Son of God. Truly, we can put our hope in Him. The One who is risen. The One who is seen by more than 500 brothers at one time the sure witness of Jesus that He has come for us. And I would just say the encouragement, he, He's coming back. How much do you think about that? He's going to come back for us. These bodies that are, that are perishing, that are fading away, that are rotting away, He's, he's going to restore even our bodies. In 1 John... He puts it like this, verse, verse, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. It goes down to say, it says, we love because He first loved us. And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so we see, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so we see this love is connected to Christ. The only way that we're able to love, to have this brotherly love, is because Christ has loved us. He has shown us love. And so there needs to be an understanding that God is the first one to to show love to us. And out of that love that He has shown towards us, we love our brothers. And I would remind you that that text says this isn't just a passive thing. This is actually an active command to love one another. And so this isn't, you know, maybe there's a temptation to sit back and say, I need to feel more loved. I, I, need to, I need to feel more loved in this church. And that is not what I'm saying. And that's actually not what this text is saying. This text is saying that you need to love one another. And, and here's the reality of that. If every single member in this church is loving one another, every single member in this church is also going to be loved. That there's going to be an atmosphere, there, there's going to, it's going to cultivate this atmosphere of love in this church. And, and really, the only area that that can break down is when people don't do this. When, when they, they get selfish and they stop loving their brothers. When they start caring about their own interests more than the interests of their brothers and sisters. And so we see that we've been taught by God to love one another. I do think and hope that, that we are doing this. And the final exhortation in this text is do so more and more. Do so more and more. And so we need to realize that uh, we are... We have never loved our brother as much as Christ has loved our brother. And so we need to grow in this. Hopefully this produces a a godly discontentment that we want to grow in love more and more. Do do you love your brother? Yes. But more. Right? You you desire this more. You long for this more. You, You pray for them more. You encourage them more. You you strive and bear with one another in unity more. You, you forgive, you forbear more and more. I hope that every single person in here feels that, that you're not just content with, yeah, I love pretty good, you know, I'm just going to coast. I hope that every single person, yes, I love my brothers and sisters in here, and yet... I want to love them more. 
This is directly connected with Christ's love for us. We need to constantly have that as a, as a reminder at the forefront of our minds of what he has done. And ultimately, we, we need the grace of God in our lives to fulfill this. But both of Paul's letters, they end with, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We need that. We need that grace. If, if we're going to be doing this more and more, we need grace from God. We need help from God. Th- this is actually another way that you can pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray all of these things and more and more. God, do it in a more. God, use my brother more. I do hope that, that this will be a help to you. That that uh, you won't leave here a month from now or a year from now and none of these things have been cultivated in your life. That would truly be a shame. It would be a waste. And so I do hope, I hope that God will, will teach you. I hope that he will teach me. And that will produce this love for one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, we love you. We are so thankful for Christ. We are so thankful, God, for what you have done for us. God, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, thank you for the love that you have shown towards us. God, and I do pray, God, I pray, God, that we would love one another more and more that you would work it in our hearts more and more. God, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, God, to love one another, to to labor for one another, to give our whole selves to one another. God, truly, God, if you do not help us, God, we cannot do it. Our flesh is weak. And so, God, we're calling on you asking you, God, pleading with you to help us. Lord, we love you. God, help us love one another more and more, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.